morning, good morning. We had our healing rooms yesterday. I'm going to ask Jamal to come up, and he's going to share what happened in the healing rooms. Let's guess what? Give it up for Jamal. Jamil, my goodness. I don't know why I do that every time. I know your name. Good morning, Zion. I know you do. It's all good. God bless you all. We had a healing room yesterday, and uh, I didn't hear all of uh, what transpired, but we had a, uh, oh, I need to digress. Um, Mary's singing in worship team. Um, I said to my wife, I said, the angels of the Lord are present. Mm -hmm. And I was standing back there. And I said, Lord, what do they look like? And literally, I saw a kaleidoscope. They were like kaleidoscope. Mm -hmm. um, I believe people will get healed watching this online just through the worship and the praise. So if you fast forwarded just, just for the sermon, rewind, watch the worship. There you go. No, the sermon will be awesome, I'm sure. But I'm just, uh, it's, it's just true. Yeah, it's it, good. It was, it was amazing. But we had healing rooms yesterday, and um, a person came in with a great praise report, which was interesting. They came with a praise report. They had told us they had come in a few months before, had prayer, and they had got healed of blood cancer. Wow. Come on. So good. So we're ministering to them, and they said, but, you know, when I got that report of blood cancer, then they examined me, and they told me I have, they saw something else. So I tend to smile sometimes when people tell me things. So I'm smiling, and I guess I gave them a Jesus shrug <laughs> because it doesn't matter to Jesus. So we prayed against it. I got up this morning, and I said, I don't. I didn't have anything to share. And the Lord reminded me of something. He said, I just want to briefly say, we prayed against stress. It was one of the things we prayed against for them. Because stress, chronic stress particularly, affects our immune system. And that's one way our physical body gets attacked. Is if we let stress build up, we weaken our immune system. So I encourage you, Listen to the word, whatever you need to do to stay as stress-free as possible. Jesus tells us don't worry, right? And we aren't to worry. And I'll close this out with the angels. Someone called us last night in, uh, with a situation. We were praying for them. And we're praying for them. Back to the angels. I mentioned the angels, angelic assistants. I said, you know one thing about angels? The Lord just reminded me. They do not retreat. They never retreat. So if you call and ask the Lord for an angel, they expect us to stand and move forward. They don't respond to us retreating. Angels never retreat. They have never lost a battle in Jesus' name. That's good. That's good. <clears throat> Another funny thing my pastor used to say is, uh, your angels only go the speed limit, so once you exceed that, you're on your own. So you can do with that what you want. I'm really sorry. So, um, hey, I, uh, uh, two Sundays ago, we had people uh, sign up. We uh, talked about different needs in the church for volunteering. And I just want to say thank you to all of our volunteers and all who recently signed up. Thank you so much. Made a huge difference. So thanks for jumping in. Love that. So we got this email sent to us. You guys ready for this? This is a good one. <clears throat> Uh, the Lord sent me to the Philippines from November 24th to January 4th of this year for 45 days. I knew this was going to be a healing trip. This is someone from an outside church who watches our services. I knew this was going to be a healing trip, so I immersed myself in the series Heal Like Jesus. That was the 26 healing miracles we did for 27 weeks. Okay, 
I must have watched all of them at least two times before the trip, and for the entire duration of the flight to the Philippines, where I was going to demonstrate the goodness of God with signs and wonders, and then teach on healing. Something clicked watching those sermons. I'm now totally sold out that God wants to heal. Jesus paid the price in full. Jesus is the representation of God. So there's nothing we can do to earn or qualify for God's healing. I think this person did listen. This is good. <clears throat> Only focusing on Jesus' love and finished work on the cross. Two days after arrival, we, meaning the Holy Spirit and I, I love that, we prayed for a blind woman. Her eyes were white. She had been blind for over two years. Within that week, we got news that she can now see perfectly. Yay, God. Yeah. <clears throat> We prayed for at least two to 300 people. We lost track of the flu, colds, and sore throats that stopped right there. I'm part of the prayer team and healing room at my home church, and I've never seen that many healed the entire three years I've been part of these prayer teams. Yet during this trip, we had two tumors disappear. They were sent home from scheduled surgery. Yay, God. These are, these are her words. Yeah, so good. Blurry eyesight cleared up, and they were able to read signs that they could not read beforehand. Legs grew. Three people that could barely hear can now hear their children whisper from six feet away. <clears throat> Back pain, gone. Shoulder pain, gone. Goiter, gone. Yay, God. The last day I just watched the sermon on the epileptic son and unbelief. That was one of the stories of Jesus. A young man was brought to be prayed for. He had seven epileptic seizures over three days, could not eat, stand, or walk. I did not know at this time, but he was carried in. I asked Holy Spirit how he wanted me to pray, and he said to ask if he wanted to come back to Jesus, for he'd been backslid for years. So we led him in prayer and asked if he wanted the Holy Spirit to come in and live in him. He did. His demeanor changed. It was then the Lord said, now you can address the sickness. So we rebuked the epilepsy. I told him to get up and walk. So he did, stretching his tight muscles. He started walking around as his tight muscles started to loosen. The women that brought him in were shocked to see him walking, and then he picked up food to eat and had no ill effect. It was then I was told that he could not walk, he had no appetite to eat, and when he did, his throat would close up, causing him to start coughing and throwing up. Last Sunday was his first time back in church in a long while. Yay, God. This person's been busy. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I had a person come along with me, and it turned out she did not entirely agree with the way you taught healing. She insisted on asking for the sin committed or the unforgiveness when healing did not seem to happen, which, just as you taught, took their eyes off of Jesus and onto their works. I tried to schedule training based on the sermon series, but to no avail, uh, which was good because the difference between our two cheesings would have been confusing. Thank God the person stayed for only 15 days. <laughs> I was then able to get training scheduled, even did an activation where they prayed for each other. Back pain, shoulder pain, and colds got healed. The best part was the following day, we had an outing with the young people from all the, from all the Bible studies gathered together to celebrate the Bible study coordinators at a pool. I saw the young people from the class were laying hands on other young people, and they were getting healed. They just don't do that normally. <clears throat> Even some of the younger pastors started praying for the sick. That was the best mission trip I've ever been on. I can't wait to go again. Yeah, so good. Man, the kingdom of God is a good thing. All right. Well, today we're starting a new series on healthy kingdom families, and today we're going to talk about the goal of marriage. If you are married, if you're here today and you're married... This message is for you. If you are single and someday want to get married, this message is for you. If you are single today and you don't want to get married, this message is for you because our relationship with Jesus is uh, compared to Christ and his bride. So it all applies to Jesus. So guess what? This is for you. Are you guys ready? All right. I heard Danny Silk, just, he used to do a lot of marriage counseling, and uh, I used to do some when I was on staff at another church, and this would be a typical scenario. 
Um, husband and wife would come in, the, um, come in the office. Typically, one of them did not want to be there. They got drugged there by the other spouse, usually the husband drugged there, and they uh, began to present their list. Here's what I need to change about my spouse. This is what they're doing to me. Can you make, basically, can you change my spouse for me? And um, Danny would let them talk for a minute or two and interrupt with this question. What's the goal of your marriage? Like, I, I don't understand the question. Well, what are you working towards? The man usually says, I just want some peace and quiet. A real high calling there, probably in the wedding vows, right? Yeah. She usually says, I just want to be able to have a conversation. I just want to talk to him, really talk to him. That probably was in the vows, actually. So what's the goal of your marriage? They began to list financial goals. They mentioned goals with their kids. And they finally realized that their unwritten, unspoken goal was really to create a safe distance. How much distance do I need to protect myself from you, being, from you hurting me over and over again? It's never stated, but that's the reality. Listen, no one has written to their wedding vows, I hope to protect myself from you all the days of my life. People still live together. They share the same bed together. They raise kids together. They go to church together. But they're living disconnected from one another. And in that disconnection, they parade around as a couple being married. Okay? So let me give you what I think the goal of marriage is. And now you're going to see you guys all have got little worksheets that, uh, that all apply to you. You're like, I'm not married. You can apply it to relationship with God. Just some notes. And so I'm going to let you do this as homework on your own, but this will kind of help you follow along. Here's a sentence that I believe is the goal of marriage, and we'll back it up with uh, different scriptures. You guys ready? To intentionally create a loving, intimate connection that multiplies our effectiveness for God's kingdom. I've never been known for being brief, so just forgive me on that sentence, but it's pretty thorough. Let me say it again. The goal of marriage is to intentionally create a loving, intimate connection that multiplies our effectiveness for God's kingdom. I believe that's the goal of a marriage relationship. So let's start it off in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. Then the man said, At last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, Adam and Eve did not have a, a father, and so in verse 24, when he's saying, For this reason, a man shall leave father and mother, he's speaking prophetically about the purpose of marriage, about God's will for marriage. And he gives us some instruction how it should work. There's kind of a leaving. I want you guys to get this revelation. If you're going to a new place, you have to leave an old place. You're like, wow, Jim, this is, this is absolutely mind-blowing. I know this is, this is profound. You can't arrive if you don't leave. Okay, so what's the point? Um, you have to leave one relationship in order to go into another one. So a man, in, uh, a man is raised in his mother's father and mother's household. He has to leave that relationship. doesn't, like, cut them off. But I want you guys to get this. The marriage relationship should supersede any other physical relationship. Marriage is now to be the highest priority of any human relationship. Under the human inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Adam declares this prophetically about marriage, that the husband-wife relationship is greater than the parent-child relationship. I just solved some problems right there in some marriages. Right there. Okay? When uh, the mother or the father begins to uh, value a, a child and that relationship over the husband-spouse relationship, problems will ensue. Um, there was a, a study when I was in seminar. I was taking a marriage class, and they did a study. They found that the number one factor, this wasn't in Christian marriages. This was across all marriages. The number one factor for children turning out to be well-adjusted was that their parents had a strong marriage. So for those of you who love your kids, which I hope is all of you, instead of prioritizing them above their marriage relationship, when you prioritize the marriage relationship, it actually sets them up for success. Right. The best thing you can do for your kids is to have a strong, godly marriage. 
remember my dad, uh, I was, one time, I, uh, my mom's sitting on the front row, it's embarrassing to say, I was complaining about my mom one time, I'm sure it was all me, and dad jokingly said, um, listen, you're going to be gone someday, I'm going to be living with her the rest of my life, you're not going to divide the two of us. What was he doing? He was drawing a boundary there. Listen, you can come and com- you're not going to come and complain to me about mom. Mom and I are a unit. Mom and I are solid. There's nothing you're going to do to break this bond. Some couples have replaced the priority of their marriage with the priority of their kids. I'm not saying ignore the kids, but there's a separation between parents and kids and a joining together of the spouse that is a superseding of that relationship. One of the great problems is marriage is when one partner honors one of the parents more than the mate. Saw so a study of uh, spirit-filled Christians, and they were asked to um, uh, they were asked to rate their relationship with their in-laws. Seventy percent of, of um, spirit-filled Christians said that the relationship with the in-laws was a significant problem in their marriage. I'll make another admission here with my mom in the front row. I grew up a bit of a mama's boy. I'm just gonna have to say that, and so probably still am. But um, uh, there was a time where I uh, this was on my fault. That uh, it was a little, it was a little too much. When we first got married, um, I didn't. I'm not sure I necessarily leaved and cleaved properly. And so a scenario would go like this: I'd come home. From, this is no lie. This is terrible. I haven't always been this saved. Okay, I've grown, but um, I would literally come home from seminary, walk through the door, say hi to Mary, call my mom, and tell her about my day. How many think Mary really enjoyed that uh, that priority of relationship? Right. So. Um, she gave me some chiropractic adjustment conversations that really, um, that really helped with that thing. And so I needed to deal with that. Some of you, you need to have a conversation about this. You may need to deal with that relationship where your spouse needs to make a commitment to value you above their parents' relationship. Again, I'm not saying you cut off the in-laws. I'm just saying there has to be a priority order. If your in-laws are secretly whispering in your ear that, this, that you're not good enough, uh, whispering things about your spouse, that is poison. That needs to be stopped immediately. It needs to be said, listen, if you're going to continue poisoning my marriage, we're going to have to take a break from this relationship. You can have strong language and strong boundaries. They don't get to poison that relationship with their opinions about what your spouse should be doing. All right. I have funny stories coming up. Don't worry. Just, just take the medicine right now. You don't have to be a jerk about it, but you can be loving, lovingly firm. In-laws are not evil. They can and should be a strength and a blessing, but the marriage relationship must take priority. Some people, it's their boss that takes priority. Some, it's their friends or church functions or hobbies that destroy marriages. I really need you home tonight. Sorry, honey, it's, it's hunting season. I'll see you when that's over. I'm not saying it's bad to go hunting. I'm not saying it's bad to play golf. And you can absolutely play table tennis. But we all need some boundaries and some priorities. No other human relationship can supersede the marriage relationship. So um, what happens a lot of times is when when, uh, tension happens in a marriage, people run to these other relationships for comfort rather than dealing with the actual issue with their spouse. So they throw themselves into their careers more and more hours, which is the sweat of the brow earth curse system. Uh, Go out with the boys, go out with the girls. They stop spending time together. A woman throws herself into her children. This is why so many marriages fall apart after 20 years, is once the kids leave the house, they have nothing else in common. Listen, before you can get a cure, you have to diagnose the root of the problem, and so many times people are just trying to get at the symptoms rather than the root. The root problem is you're not being intentional. You're not putting the marriage relationship as the highest human priority. I remember um, 
I remember I was teaching a marriage seminar one time in another state. I was, I was one of the speakers. And uh, just me teaching about being intentional, I was a whole lot more intentional that week. Like just talking about it, thinking about it. And uh, Mary kept saying, why are you being so nice? Why are you, why, why are you, uh, why are you treating me, serving me extra today? And I thought, boy, if it's that obvious, then I probably haven't been doing enough. And this was even worse. Uh, the next day after it, back to the busyness, she says, where's that guy from last week? Guys, listen, there is an all-out war against marriages by the enemy. We have to meet that opposition with greater resistance. Just simply going along and just doing that. No, no, we have to be intentional about that relationship. Listen, if something's worth a dollar, you might not even think about locking the the door of the car or rolling up the windows. If something's worth a million dollars, then you're going to have a whole different level of protection around it, okay? Your marriage is valuable. The closest thing to hell on earth is a bad marriage, the closest thing to heaven on earth is a good marriage. Listen, I've been pastoring for 27-something years now, and let me just say that again. The closest thing to hell on earth is a bad marriage. The closest thing to heaven on earth is a good marriage. Prioritize it. Protect it. Be intentional. A loving, intimate connection doesn't just happen through atrophy. Are we doing good? All right, keep moving on to the definition. So we want to intentionally create, that was the last part there, a loving, intimate connection. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 through 25. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. This is speaking of Adam and Eve. Then he took one of his ribs, one of Adam's ribs, and closed the flesh up at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Then the man said, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he said, whoa, man, and she was called woman. Not someone says. And so <laughs> she shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Verse 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. So um, in verse 21, we see God caused Adam to fall into deep sleep. And this is why men don't understand women, because we were asleep while the whole thing was happening, right? So... <laughs> I'm actually kind of a little bit offended because when God made man, he got some dirt and like blew on it. Like with woman, it says he takes a rib and he fashions this woman like carefully out of it. I'm a little bit jealous of that. So verse 22, it says he made the woman from a rib. I want you guys to get this. The Trinity took this one rib and it doesn't say they took this rib and made a woman around it. It's not what it says. Somehow it's like the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. Somehow he took this rib and began to fashion every single molecule Every single strain of DNA out of this woman. And so he, didn't, he, uh, he took that rib and multiplied every cell. So the woman doesn't just have a piece of man in her. She was a complete extension of him. They were one, and she was made out of that. She is literally Adam duplicated and multiplied out in a unique way. She was literally bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Not just bone, she was completely part of him. This is going to be important here in a second. So the, uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for man is the, in, in this verse is the word ish. The Hebrew word for woman is isha. Okay? So I want you to see this. All the words referring to woman, such as she, her, and female, they all have he or male in them. Right? Here's the point. Um, she didn't just have a little piece of union with him. She was originally in man. Okay? I want you to see this. This stresses the unity that happens when the two become one flesh. Originally, they were one flesh. Separated out, and marriage is picturing this union once again. Okay, so this is an opinion. This is just uh, this is not an infallible doctrine here. This is gemology here. <clears throat> but um, when God took the rib from Adam and made these physical parts, I believe He also took some of Adam's emotional makeup and personality and mental makeup out of him. 
Okay, so there's no longer Adam was complete by himself apart from Eve. They're interdependent upon one another to be that one, that one person, that one flesh. So if there's anyone who's saying that they're a woman trapped in a man's body, God already took that part out. You've got no excuse now. It was supposed to be funny, okay? Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. In that day, God created man in the likeness of God he made him. Male and female, he created them. He bl- and blessed them and called their name Adam. He's looking at the two of them and he's calling them one name. In that day when they were created. Uh, some more uh, modern Bible translations saying God called their name ma- man, but it's that word Adam, ish. Okay? So get this. When God spoke to Eve, he called her Adam. When God looks at you as a couple, he sees you as one person. Stop acting like two separate lives. God saw them as one person. They became one flesh at the point where God called two individuals the same name. Okay, from heaven's perspective, I want you to see the sign of the unity there. This is also Jesus' understanding of marriage. Mark chapter 10, verse 8. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. When you get married, it's no longer two, two lives, and you're just kind of roommates and kind of doing your own thing. It's two have become one. This is the Apostle Paul's understanding of marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God never intended for you to function independent of your spouse. We just kind of got our own lives, and it's kind of cool, and we you know, sleep together. And Listen, God sees you and your spouse as one. Listen, before I was married, before Mary was married, she had a, we had a lot of individuality. We kind of did our own thing, and we made our own plans. When you get together, you now have to take other things into consideration. Okay, there's another person involved. There's a one flesh involved, okay? We became a new person. We're no longer Jim and Mary. We are Jerry. No, I'm just kidding. We're not. <laughs> this is the biblical foundation of a woman dropping her last name, right? It goes back. When God called two people by one name, this is the, this is the, this is the biblical basis for that. When you get married, there shouldn't be two separate lives. There's one new identity, something that never existed before. Okay, none of this two bank accounts, my stuff, my career, my money, my social life. I'm not saying you can't have your own friends. I'm saying you're not living independent, doing your own thing anymore. There's somebody else involved in this. How are we doing? Another word that we use for oneness is intimacy. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. Now that word knew, obviously you don't just know about someone and a child pops out, right? And so it's, it's a knowing by experience, an intimate physical knowing. And it involves every level of person and getting to know their mind, getting to know their personality, getting to know them emotionally. And uh, this is part of that oneness and moving towards intimacy. It's knowing their secrets. It's knowing their favorite foods. It's knowing what makes their heart tick. It's knowing what God's speaking to them about. Okay? Um, And how many of you guys understand that men and women communicate differently? We have a little fun here? We all right? Let's do she says and here's what she says and here's what she means. Are we Okay. You can leave now if you're offended. (laughs) She says it's your decision. She means if you were paying attention, the correct decision should be obvious by now. (laughs) She says there's nothing wrong. She means, of course there's something wrong, but I shouldn't have to tell you what it is. She says I'll be ready in a minute. (laughs) She means kick off your shoes and find a good show on TV. She says, I don't want any dessert. 
She means, I'll just eat half of yours. <laughs> now for the men. When he says, I like a woman who speaks her mind, he means, I like it when she says things that I already agree with. <laughs> he says, I like a woman with a sense of humor. He means, I like a woman who laughs at my jokes, including my toddler antics and junior high level shenanigans. He says, can I help with dinner? He means, I hope dinner is already on the table. <laughs> he says, I can't find it. He means, it didn't fall into my outstretched hands. Can you go look for it? <laughs> that was for you, Mary. <laughs> Another picture of intimacy in Genesis 2.25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. One person defined intimacy as, into me you see. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear, but you know what? Fear casts out love. And so, do, uh, so we, have to, we have to have this God's kind of love. You know what unconditional love is? I'm going to treat you with love regardless of the condition you're in. Love is because of who I am, not because of how you're acting. And so if you're going to intentionally create a loving, intimate connection, we're going to need to top, tap into God's kind of love. We're going to need to tap into a supernatural kind of love because there's going to be a chance sometimes in 50 years of marriage when that other person may not be acting lovely. Chances are, just, just saying. Into me you see. So here's the question that, uh, that the person wants to answer. Can I be safe around you? Is it safe for me to lower my walls and let you see the real me? Can the real me come out and run around the living room? Or do I have to hold back a whole bunch of me so you don't hurt me? Okay, so here's what happens a lot of times in marriage. Spouse number one shares something that spouse number two doesn't really want to deal with, doesn't really want to hear. Hey, can I tell you about my struggle with my faith right now? My struggle with your mother. The things that I want to accomplish with our lives. How I'm feeling about our sex life. How I'm feeling about my job. It's killing me inside. Can we really talk about what's inside of me? Spouse number two doesn't want to hear that, so they either shut down, completely disconnect, withdraw, or punish you with, I don't want to deal with this right now. What's, uh, what's spouse number two training spouse number one with? Uh, don't open up around that person, or here's how you're going to get treated, right? A lot of people learn this as a kid. You come home from school, and you say, hey, mom, dad, this kid at school just shaved half their hair off. I think it's so cool. And they respond with, what a stupid idea. Get that out of your head. Don't you dare open up around me, or you can expect more of this. Well, they don't say that, but that's how it comes across. And what did the child learn? Better not open up around mom and dad with my thoughts. I'm going to go open up to different friends. How are we doing? When you start learning, that wasn't fun. I'm not sure I want to do this again. Uh, for there to be intimacy, it has to be safe to be who you are. Even if I don't understand you and what you're saying, I value you enough to, to try to listen and try to understand. Imagine this scenario. Husband come home, comes home from work. Phew, man, I've had a really tough day. You wouldn't believe my boss. You had a tough day. Try dealing with a toddler and a baby who's teething. I feel half the time I'm running in a sane asylum, and the other half I belong in one. Must be nice to have some adult conversation and a lunch break. Go ahead. Ask me what I did all day. I dare you. Let's close in prayer. No. <laughs> She's taking classes in botany and wants to come home and tell you about it. Do you know what I learned today? No, but I guess you're going to tell me about it anyway. Chlorophyll, more like borophyll, right? <laughs> yeah, that was an Adam Sandler reference, yes. I learned this early when, we were, uh, when Mary and I were um, first married. We both worked, and she would come home. I would come home, and she wanted to tell me all about her day in great detail. 
right? Every single detail. And then she would ask me, I was typically done. I didn't, I already had the day. I didn't want to talk about it. And she would ask me questions. And so I would begin to tell her stories. And she would say things like this. Well, why do you think they said that? I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, you know. Well, well when they did that, uh, how did, when you said that, how did they react? I, I, I'm ill-prepared for these kinds of, like, kinds of details, right? I was tired, didn't want to talk. But here I had this beautiful woman in front of me that was putting her walls down. And she wanted me to discover her and wanted me to, uh, you know, and wanted to discover more of me. Guys, that's a big part of intimacy is knowing and being known. Discovering and being discovered. I'm interested in the parts that they probably wouldn't make a movie about. Right? And so my wife, uh, every morning, this is how it starts off. Um, hey, did you have any dreams last night? which is code for, I just had a saga dream that's like six parts long, and I want to tell you about it, but let's see if you had a cute little dream first. <laughs> All right? And so I'm like, yeah, I had this dream, and there was this person, and I prayed for him, and they got out of the wheelchair. That's it? Yeah, that's it. Well, let me tell you about mine, okay? And so, um, and so what communicates love to Mary is if I listen to her dreams, don't drift off in my mind, actually partner with the Holy Spirit to begin to listen and see if I can get some interpretation for that versus waiting for it to end. I've done both. One lowers the walls, one builds walls. Stop nodding your head, woman. <laughs> Conditional love does not cast out fear. It's perfect love, God's kind of love that casts out fear. If you came here today with a list of all the things you want to change about your spouse, you're not going to create a safe space. Because you're giving conditional love, under these conditions, I will love you, so I'm going to try to create these conditions. Let me ask you a question. Will you offer your spouse unconditional love even if they don't change anything about themselves other than their socks? If your answer is no, then you will be a beacon of judgment and you're creating a situation with tons of, tons of anxiety. In building connection, a whole bunch of what you're building is your approach to the other person. You're not trying to change the other person. Here's the news. You're going to be the one who's going to be doing most of the changing. That was a big point. My goal is connection. I want my spouse to feel loved by me, okay? I want to learn to send the message to my wife, and you want to learn to send the message to your spouse. I love you all day long, every day. I want to send the message when she's around me, when she speaks to me, you're valuable to me. Let me show you that you're valuable by how well I listen and how I learned to see what you need so I can meet that need. I want to learn to send the message, I'm going to choose you all day long, no matter what you do. Even if you don't change those 10 things that bother me, I choose you and all those things. Mary does not have 10 things that bother me. This was just a generalized example. <laughs> and here's the deal, guys. What says I love you to a woman is different than what says I love you to a man. Um, for Mary, what says I love you is quality time and helping around the house. And so her dream idea is me uh, with a tool belt on, going around the house, doing a list of chores unasked for, while she's telling me about the season that the church is in and what she's learning from the book of Jeremiah and uh, about, the, you know, about this prophetic word that she got. And me listening to this saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, really? Oh, that's incredible. And at the end of it, rubbing her feet saying, tell me more. No, there's no mic. I don't think there's any batteries in it. <laughs> I, I'm just keeping this on the front row in case I need to say something. If you get nothing else, pray for me. 
Now, that's not the same thing that communicates love to me. What says I love you to me? In the words of the great song, rolling like thunder under the covers while she's telling me how amazing I am in every area of life and perhaps occasionally calling me sexy beast. How we doing? He made up that name, by the way. I did make up that name. I keep trying to get her to call me that or shredded beef. She won't call me that either, so. One of these days it's going to stick and it's going to be beautiful. The goal of marriage is to intentionally create a loving, intimate connection, next part, that multiplies our effectiveness. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, then the Lord said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Here it is in the New Living Translation. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, the word helper needs to be clearly understood. It's not like Adam's like, man, I'm so busy around here. I need a helper. And the wife is this helper who's going to come and clean up all this messes, right? That's not what it's talking about. The word for helper in the Old Testament was used of God himself. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, okay? The word suitable, suitable helper, means equal and adequate, okay? So even though we differ in our sexuality, our personalities, these type of things, we are equal in our standing before God. And so when we have a, a suitable helper, it gives the idea of a partner who is just right for me. And here's the idea, guys, is in a marriage, it's not one plus one equals two. It's one plus one equals 10,000. There is, a, there is a power in agreement that you would be more powerful together than you would be apart, okay? Marriage was given for the power of agreement or the power of oneness. You see this, uh, like the negative example, this in Genesis chapter 11, where they're building the Tower of Babel up, uh, remember that? And so Genesis chapter 11, verses 5 through 7, and the, Lord got, and the Lord came down to the city and the tower, which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this, is, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us, speaking of the Trinity, go down and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord saw their unity, saw the oneness that they had, and, um, and nothing could be restrained by their unity. Okay? This is the power of unity in a marriage. Is one plus one equals 10,000. Uh, the, the power of unity is interesting. It can be used for good or for evil. Okay, there's a multiplying effect when uh, people are in unity. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. There's the power of unity. This is why uh, God created uh, this mate for Adam, was to duplicate and increase his effectiveness. Better together than they were apart, okay? Um, a lot of people, they got this problem. They, say, they make a joke like this, but it's kind of telling. Um, I'd like for you to meet my better half. Listen, if you're not whole, then you've got a problem in marriage. It's not half plus half equals one, okay? It's, uh, it's, it's one plus one equals 10,000. So Craig Hill uses this illustration of a couple that's getting ready to get married. And a lot of people, they are looking for someone to make them feel good. You know, they look, oh, I just love this person. They make me feel alive. They make me so happy to being around them. You complete me. They say things like this, right? So many people, they're like a flea looking for their big dog. And they finally, they think they have found their big dog. What's a, uh, a flea? A flea is a parasite who's going to be drawing life from something else, from the host, hoping that they won't miss it. 
right? And so they get married, and they think, I have found my big dog. They make me happy. They, they make me complete. This is so good. This is so great. And about two weeks after the honeymoon, what they realize is they married another flea. And now you've got two fleas desperately trying to get their needs met from the other flea. And it doesn't work. Instead, God's called us to be uh, more a picture of two rechargeable batteries. Okay? There's, you know, the, the battery in the cell phone's never like, listen, all I do is give, give, give. You talk and you never listen to me. You just, you just use me for, for my internet. You just use me for this and that. No, no, no. The battery just gives life. And it doesn't try to get life from the phone. It goes to another source to get recharged. Some people think it takes two partners to produce this. It actually only takes one. Because you are one flesh, when one person begins to tap into God's kind of love and then the Holy Spirit's energy in a marriage, it completely changes the dynamics of that marriage. I think a lot of people look today, uh, look in their marriage to give them happiness and completeness and take away their loneliness. Happiness is a byproduct of a healthy marriage. Joy is a wonderful part of a marriage, but it's not the purpose of a marriage. You cannot look to your marriage to make you happy. Your relationship with God is given to make you happy. If you are miserable and lonely before marriage, you will be miserable and lonely inside of marriage. Yea, that I say unto thee. Why? Well, many aren't happy in their marriage, and it's not because the marriage fails. It's because they're demanding something out of it that was never intended to give. It's two fleas trying to get their needs met. You're not supposed to get your needs met from some big dog. You're supposed to get it from a rechargeable battery. Marriage is not a substitute for your relationship with God. Okay? And as your relationship with God excels, you're more and more complete, and you can uh, be a better marriage partner. Listen, Adam wasn't bummed out, lonely, depressed, uh, you know, any of those things. He, uh, he was created perfect. He didn't have sin, didn't have loneliness, he didn't have unhappiness, and um, he didn't need someone to bolster him. He wasn't like, man, I am so lonely. This is so miserable. I, I'm just not complete. Listen, if you're single here, you can be complete in Christ. And what's going to be the best marriage partner is when you are complete and you're bringing that completeness to a marriage, not like, I'm limping along, I'm dying, how am I going to get my sexual needs met? I'm so lonely. That's like a repellent to the opposite sex. When you're whole, it's more attractive. How are we doing? Marriage was given for much more. It's the power of a loving, intimate connection that multiplies our effectiveness to expand God's kingdom. Let's look at that last part, for expanding God's kingdom. Genesis, I'm going to keep going back to this verse. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Women, aren't you glad you have authority over creeps? Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. When God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in this special place called the Garden of Eden. It was the garden of his delight. And inside the garden, things were great. It was just how God created them. Outside the garden was still chaos. And so their charge was to take the relationship with God and to have children who also were in relationship with God, and they were to spread the glory of God. They were to spread the kingdom of God over all the earth as the water covers the sea. Okay, they were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That's the original uh, commission. That is a breathtaking commission to take your relationship with God, take the, to, the, the kingdom of God that, is, that you have stewardship over, and expand that over the earth. Now, we know the story. Adam and Eve gave their authority over the devil. Here's the good news. Jesus got it all back, right? 
God's plan to transform this world is family. It's a man and a woman, naked and unashamed, covered in his glory, walking with God. Listen, no one can hinder your destiny or propel you towards your destiny like your spouse. Your marriage is your greatest opportunity for spiritual transformation. You will learn to serve. You will learn to love unconditionally. You will learn how to get over offenses quickly, hopefully. You'll have someone who can see past your walls and call out the gold in you and, see, and call you to a higher place than you're currently living at. You can't hide in a marriage. The real you is eventually going to show up. Dating you is eventually going to go away and real you is going to show up. Dating, dating you, you got it on your best face, your best breath, you're groomed, you got manners. My greatest spiritual goal with my life by far has been the power of unity with Mary. Your marriage is called a mystery in Ephesians 5. It prophesies to the world, this is how Christ loves the church. I remember uh, we had a, um, a young man and uh, a, a, a woman that he was living with. Actually, I, yeah, he was there. I'm not sure. I think she was there too. And their kids were there. And um, they did not like God. They did not, they, they wanted nothing to do with God. And after uh, living with this for a little while, it was just, it was really interesting. We weren't trying to win them to the Lord. It's not like we weren't trying to not win them to the Lord. We weren't just being so overt because they were so hostile to the gospel. And uh, I remember the one man uh, caught me on the back porch and he said, I want to know God the way you two know God. Now, what did he see? He didn't see us talking about Jesus. He saw the way that a husband loved a wife and the wife honored her husband and the way that we treated our kids. And out of that, he said, I want to know God the way you know God. Husbands, if you're, uh, I'm just about done here. Are we okay? Husbands, if you're harsh with your wife, your prayers will be hindered. Listen to 1 Peter 3, 7. It's not my opinion. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the, of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Wow. When you treat your wife harshly, it affects the spiritual atmosphere you carry and your effectiveness for the kingdom of God. If you're harsh with your wife, your prayers will be hindered. Um, my pastor, Clady Keith, says this. He's, he calls me Jimmy. I got saved when I was about nine or seven or eight or nine around him, so he still calls me Jimmy. Jimmy, he says, you have no more ministry to Christ's bride than you do to your own. Listen, guys, your ministry is never going to be greater than your marriage. How are we doing? Listen, one person on fire for the Lord can greatly influence the other spouse. First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. I'm closing around this right around here. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. We're going to talk about uh, authority and submission and all these uh, uh, awesome things in another week. I'm not going to tell you which week because you might be tempted to not show up. Only because you think that you know what the word submission means. But if you knew what it means, you would embrace it. How are we doing? In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Marriage is more than just a way to make you happy. It's actually a way to, the way that you live your life, because you and your spouse are one, you can actually influence them to the Lord. So, in conclusion, the sentence was to intentionally create a loving, intimate connection that multiplies your effectiveness for the kingdom of God. And the good news is here, all of these things uh, apply to the way that Jesus wants to relate to you, and you get to relate to Jesus. Let's stand for closing prayer. We okay? 
Thank you for that solo clap. I appreciate that. Oh, oh, no. It doesn't count now. When I begged for it, basically. What if there was a revival of marriages among Christian people? Where husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. Interesting, just on the submission thing real quick. It says, submit yourselves one to another. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, submit to your husbands. The first part of that is submit yourselves to one another. So the husband's submitting himself to the wife, laying down his life for her. She's not going to have a whole bunch of problems submitting to a guy who's submitting to her and laying his life down for her. All right, just take a little fear out of that one. Okay, I'll, that counts. That counts. I believe that what the world is looking for in our marriages is a more compelling story. There wouldn't be all this woke nonsense about marriages if they just saw a better version of it. No one needs to feel bad, guys, but we've got an opportunity to rewrite the story, to create a more compelling alternative. God created them male and female. He's the one who created marriage between man and a woman. He's the one who created it and blessed it. And we've got an opportunity to live it out before them so they say, I want that. That's a picture of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for marriage. We thank you that uh, we are your bride and you are our bridegroom. And we get to be daughter-in-laws for all of eternity. And so, uh, so Lord, I pray that, just our, our, that you will supernaturally infuse our marriages with God's kind of love that you will help us to become the kind of people who intentionally create a loving, intimate connection that multiplies our effectiveness for the kingdom of God. And Lord, I pray that these things, that uh, each person will examine their own heart, not their spouse's heart, but their own heart. And Lord, for anyone who's single in here, I pray that you would just, uh, just give them great hope that they can, uh, they can work on them and that you'll bring them the right person at the right time. We bless your name in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our ministry teams are coming forward. They'll be the one who